Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 103. Does anybody else hate Walgreens? <laughs> I freaking hate Walgreens. I needed a prescription, and I went online hoping to be able to do everything, you know, without actually talking to another human being, because, hey, you know, it's 2020, and ba 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 they said they would mail it and it would get here in two days. And, you know, it's three days, it's four days, it's five days. Finally, I break, I break like a twig and I call the number and I'm waiting <laughs> for like half an hour and I talk to someone and they're like, oh yeah, that order was never received for some reason. But don't worry, I have it now. I'll send it out. You'll get it in two days. Fast forward another week, and I'm still waiting. So, so I call again, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're backed up because of coronavirus. And I was like, how does that even work? I mean, these are drugs. What if this was like a life-saving medication? And there was sort of this shrug from the phone, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> and afterward, I was like, what the hell? Why does Walgreens suck so badly? Why do I feel trapped using Walgreens? I mean, there's Walgreens and there's CVS. That's it, right? And my mom, thank God, was the voice of sanity. And she said, Matt, there's a local family-owned pharmacy right down the road. Why don't you try them? And I did. And it was wonderful. I called them. I talked to like somebody who actually gave two shits. And the process was seamless. And now I'm looking back and I'm saying, why did I ever use Walgreens in the first place? Why did I ever think that I had to use them? It felt like there was no other alternative. And, you know, something similar happened recently with food. First, I went on Amazon and they had like a two week delay to get the stuff I wanted. And then I looked at the website for the local grocery store which is still a chain. And again, it would take two weeks to get something delivered. And I did not want to go to the store. And then I was like, you know, I live in Wisconsin. There's got to be some farms around here, right? And so I went to Sean Baker's website, which is meetrx.com. And he has a whole page of local ranchers across the country who will deliver meat to you direct from the farm. And so I found a farm in upstate Wisconsin and I placed an order and two days later it was on my porch. Wow, here's this amazing local resource I never even knew existed. I never even thought to ask if it might exist. I had been trapped in this mentality that was kind of like I don't know, learned helplessness maybe, where I just assumed that the only options were the mega Goliath huge corporations. I mean, was I even legally allowed to shop somewhere other than Amazon? God forbid. So again, you know, this economy, it looks as though it's consolidated into a bunch of monopolies and oligopolies and duopolies where we think we don't have a choice, where we think we have a false choice between Coke and Pepsi or Walgreens and CVS or Big Bank number one and Big Bank number two. But I just didn't 
take the five minutes to try to find the better solution. This reminds me of another mental block I have. I still have. I still make this mistake all the time. Something is bugging me. Matt, why don't you do this? Why don't you fix the problem? And then I don't fix the problem. I just let the status quo continue. I just let this little nagging issue poke me over and over again. Here's an example. So my mom had hip surgery about a year ago, and we bought her a recliner. And I used to walk by the recliner where we had it in the corner of the living room and say, why don't I just move this recliner so it faces the sun? And every time I'd be like, well, you know, I'll have to unplug it. I'll have to shift it. Maybe I'll hurt my back. Maybe she won't like it. Maybe I'll have to shift it back again. It's so annoying. Ugh. <laughs> and this happened a hundred times. And then one day I just said, fuck it. Fuck it. And so I moved the recliner and it took 12 seconds. And the next day my mom was like, this is great. Why didn't we do this a year ago? <laughs> And I just wanted to put my head through the wall because why hadn't I done it on the hundred occasions when I noticed the problem? Why didn't I run the little experiment? Why didn't I even try to make things better? Over and over again, I'm starting to realize that I don't have to do it this way. I don't have to do it the way it's always been done. And this is a really difficult time for me, at least, maybe not for you, but for me to remember that I have agency. Because let's face it, the powers that be, whether they're the government or the media or corporations or just my own body, <laughs> you know, they're always trying to convince me that I'm helpless and that I can't do anything and that all I can do is accept the status quo, except, you know, their shitty leadership, except the lies and the failures and the corruption and the cronyism and the bailouts and yada, yada, yada. It's as if we're trapped just doing the wrong thing over and over because we can't even conceive. We can't even, I don't know what the word is, conceptualize. We can't even imagine that there's another way. And that's exactly what's happening right now. I mean, look at what the Federal Reserve is doing. It is printing money and it is giving it basically to investors. And the Federal Reserve, which is owned, by the way, by the big banks, it's owned by JP Morgan and Wells Fargo and Citibank and JP Morgan. The Federal Reserve has only one mindset. All it can think to do is support asset prices. But why is that the right thing to do? I mean, I get it. The Federal Reserve is scared of deflation and asset price collapse. But hold on a second. Why is that a bad thing? Who owns assets in this country? Baby boomers. They are the only class of people who own anything. I mean, in a country where half the population can't scrape together $500, where millennials are delaying marriage and having children because they can't own a home. And so you have demographic collapse, not asset collapse, societal collapse. Millennials don't own homes. Millennials don't get married. Millennials don't have children. Millennials have no stability. 
They're just indentured servants with student debt. And it's partially because the Federal Reserve refuses to let things get cheaper. And it's all in the service of the status quo. It's all in the status of this mindset that says there's no other possible way to do anything. I mean, just like I felt I was trapped going to Walgreens or to Amazon, the government feels it has no choice but to prop up the asset prices that are only owned by this tiny little privileged sliver of our society. And in order to keep these asset prices artificially inflated, they're willing to sacrifice every other generation on the altar of the baby boomers, on the altar of the status quo. And, you know, it might not even work, and that the Federal Reserve is going to print so much money that it is going to fundamentally devalue the dollar. You know, in this country, we've been, we've been at the top of the heap since the end of World War II ever since Bretton Woods created the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency. I mean, just think about this. Since 1945, what is that, 75 years? We've had 75 years of a global military hegemony. We've had 75 years of a currency hegemony. 75 years of cultural hegemony. I mean, in this country, we have had it so good, artificially good, for what? Three generations. (laughs) We don't know what it's like to have to sacrifice anymore. We don't know what it's like not to have everything. All we know are good times. And how did we respond to three generations of good times? Did we save money? Did we invest to create a more equal society, a more robust society? No, we shopped. We took out debt to shop. And we created a very efficient, very fragile supply chain for everything. There's no resiliency in the system. We don't have to do it this way. I mean, we did it because it was easier and it was a little cheaper. And we believed this artificially good time would last forever. Because, you know, we have short memories. It's really hard to remember what it was like when America wasn't king of the hill. Let me put this another way. You don't get to watch Tiger King for more than two generations in a row. (laughs) Not without the whole thing falling apart. And, you know, this isn't about blame. I really tend not to blame individuals. But it's not enough to be innocent. Innocence won't save us when things fall apart. Innocence doesn't save you when you've created this insanely fragile system, this insanely fragile economy. That's not just fragile, but it's contagious, right? You have this contagious fragility where one thing breaks and then it's a domino effect and everything breaks. Where You have these cascades of failure. We're so interconnected that one factory goes down and a whole supply chain fails where One person gets sick, and then the whole world shuts down. So what's the bottom line? We have had it so good for so long that, you know, we got a little soft. We got a little weak. But now's the time to be strong. Now's the time for us to realize as a country that we don't have to do it this way. There's another option. 
There's another way. We don't have to continue this neoliberal status quo bullshit. We can bring supply chains back home. We can bring jobs back home. We can create a more robust society. Anyway, that's all I got. I'll catch you next week.